Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is 1894. The place is Italy. Your mission is to consider, is there a correlation between criminal behavior and being a child conceived through rape? This is part one of two, Leonardo Conciulli, Italy's first female serial killer who fed victims' flesh to an unsuspecting public. Let's go back to the early 1800s. The details of Mariano Conciulli raping a woman named Emilia Di Nolfi are lost. Emilia became pregnant because of the sexual assault. To save face in her community, Emilia was forced to marry her rapist once she discovered she was pregnant. Thus, like so many women in history, Emilia gave birth to a baby girl who was conceived through rape. They named their daughter Leonardo Conciulli. She was born April 18, 1894, in what was then dubbed the Kingdom of Italy. The family lived as peasants in Montella. Mariano bred cattle, and Emilia was a widow with two children. Mariano and Emilia would have three children together. In some records, Emilia's name is listed as Serafina. The family stayed impoverished. Hard work, little food, supervised by religious belief, and a sparse education defined their lives. Perhaps it was the history of the child's conception or the constant state of poverty, but Emilia was emotionally abusive to Leonardo. In this staunch Catholic atmosphere, Leonardo was constantly reminded by her mother she was born of the devil or was evil itself. And it did not help that Leonardo had epileptic fits, which were believed to be a sign of demonic possession. She would later keep a memoir, and in her memoir, Leonardo would write of her childhood. I tried twice to hang myself. Once they came in time to save me, and the other time the rope broke. Mother let me know that she was sorry to see me alive. Once I swallowed two sticks with the intention of dying and ate some shards of glass. Nothing happened. Leonardo would grow to have the reputation of being quite the ne'er-do-well in Montella, and in 1912, at the age of 19, she was arrested and convicted of theft. Young Leonardo was pretty. Photographs show a woman with a thick bob of curling black hair, deep-set eyes, and creamy white shoulders with a long, thin neck. She would meet and marry the older Raphael Pansardi in 1917. He was a registry office clerk, not one of the wealthy men her parents had selected for her. Leonardo would later explain her mother cursed her for her disobedience and not marrying a wealthy man. Leonardo 
would pen in her memoir. I met my husband and fell madly in love with him. My mother opposed our marriage because she wanted to give me to her nephew. I got married anyway, and my mother threw a curse on me. Raphael and Leonardo Ponsardi set up housekeeping in Montella, planning for a bright future if a poor one, but Leonardo threatened someone with a knife and was arrested in 1919. They would move to Raphael's hometown of Loria. The change did not settle Leonardo. People began to talk about her, and Leonardo would have sex with any man who looked at her more than once. She had no interest in obeying her husband like a good Catholic woman, and she was quite the con artist in the guise of a spiritualist. She was telling fortunes and making money. Honesty be damned. In 1927, the con game caught up with her when Leonardo was arrested and convicted for fraud. It seems Leonardo tricked a local peasant woman out of the woman's two months' wages, which could have meant life or death for that poor woman. Leonardo was fined and given ten months in prison. Her defense attorney tried, and failed, to get her to plead insanity. In between her and her husband, Leonardo had 17 pregnancies. Three of the children were lost due to miscarriage. Ten more of their children died in their youth. Leonardo was fiercely protective of the four surviving children. And they survived, she insisted, because a local witch cast a spell. And we will learn just how fierce she could be. Leonardo began educating herself in spiritualism, the occult. She dabbled in astrology, and she practiced casting spells. Leonardo would write, I could not bear the loss of another child. Almost every night I dreamed of the small white coffins, swallowed one after the other by the black earth. For this I studied magic. I read the books that talk about palm reading, astrology, spells, hexes, and spiritualism. I wanted to learn everything about curses and be able to neutralize them. The family finally settled in the town of Correjo, the providence of Reggio Emilia. Rafael took work as a clerk in that registry's office. Leonardo opened a popular business selling furniture and clothing. She also told fortunes and hypnotized clients, claiming to have special powers to help make their dreams come true. People loved and trusted her, and she was a great listener. She was a good storyteller, just this sage who offered wonderful advice, and people flocked to her for that advice. Leonardo was no stranger to the art of telling fortunes. This is one reason she was fiercely protective of her four surviving children, because once a fortune teller had told her, you will marry and have children but all of the children will die young. A young Leonardo was told by this fortune teller, In your right hand I see prison, and your left a criminal asylum. Leonardo was well-liked and respected in Reggio Emilia. She worked out of apartment building number 11 on the third floor. Her neighbors knew she was quite superstitious, but they told one another this was due to her tragic history. What with losing so many children, 
Leonardo, she looked harmless. She stood less than five feet tall and weighed just over 100 pounds. While she was becoming more familiar with the town's secrets, Raphael, her husband, became more familiar with a bottle of booze. It seemed the answer to coping with 20 years of marriage to a temperamental and sometimes very violent woman was getting to him. And then, one day, Raphael just left. And sometimes this awful smell emulated from her kitchen, but it never lasted long. But then, this was a very impoverished area. There were lots of various smells, sights, sounds, not all of them pleasant. We'll get to that. By now, Leonardo's children were becoming established in their own right. The oldest son, Giuseppe, was a student of literature, and he was her favorite child. She doted on him. He was handsome, slender, wearing his thick, dark hair parted on the side. The second son was drafted into the army. The third was about to graduate high school, and her only surviving daughter had been sent off to a Catholic school, like a good Italian girl. In 1938, Leonardo received news that shattered her soul. Her oldest son, Giuseppe, announced the Royal Italian Army was drafting him for World War II. Leonardo was aghast. She had one son already in the draft and another one about to come of age. But losing her darling boy, her favorite, it sent her in the nights of horrible dreams and bad omens. She, she insisted her mother appeared in nightmares, warning that if Giuseppe left for war, he would not return alive. World War II was looming, and she would protect him at any cost, she said. She would lose no more children, least of all her favorite. And in between the tears, the superstitious Leonardo Conciugli determined human sacrifice would ensure Giuseppe's safety. If she could give God a body, anybody, then God would not take Giuseppe. Faustina Sette, at 73, was a poor, lonely, unmarried woman, desperate for a husband. Faustina was medium build with a heady, head full of brushy hair, unkempt, gray-haired, and a rather thick, plain face. She often came to Leonardo for help in finding that husband. I have someone for you in Pola, Leonardo told Faustina, but you must tell no one. Today, Pola is known as Croatia. Leonardo even took the farce a step further by writing Faustina letters from this pretend suitor. To keep the secret, Faustina was to pin upbeat postcards and letters and mail them to her family from Pola upon her arrival. But she was illiterate. Ah, but Leonardo had attended school up to third grade, so she helped pin the letters. And she also had Faustina's sign-over power of attorney. An excited Faustina packed her bags. She dyed her gray hair to black to look younger. And then, on December 17, 1939, she visited her good friend Leonardo for the last time for final preparations. 
Leonardo offered her neighbor coffee to celebrate her new life, and they settled down on couches in the living room. But Faustina fell back into her chair, drugged. Leonardo walked up to her groggy friend, swung an axe, and struck the nodding old woman in the throat. The Martha was sipping the coffee, Leonardo would write later. I raised the axe. I think I worked like a thunderbolt. I think my strength tripled. Otherwise, I could not have done what I did. The old woman's head hung by a thin piece of flesh. Leonardo Conciulli ripped off the head and tossed the head into a sink. And then she proceeded to chop Faustina Setti into nine parts, using a basin to collect the blood. She scrubbed the blood off of her floor and covered it with a rug that she sold in her shop. Later, Leonardo would explain, I threw the pieces into a pot, added several kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved into a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs. Ah, a bit of margarine. Kneading all the ingredients together. I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit. Though Giuseppe and I also ate them. She also handed out these treats to the local children. Leonardo would later say it was easy to dissect a body because she often had to cut large slabs of meat for her family. It took her less than 12 minutes to chop up the corpse. Using the paperwork that Faustina Setti signed in all innocence, Leonardo pocketed 30,000 lira of Faustina's savings, approximately $25,000 in U.S. dollars today. But one human sacrifice was not enough to ensure Giuseppe's safety. Or maybe she just got a little greedy because Leonardo's debauchery was just beginning. And we're going to investigate that and a theory on her criminal behavior in the next podcast of Best True Crime. That will be on part two of two. Leonardo Cionciucci, Italy's first female serial killer, fed her victim's flesh to an unsuspecting public. I'll see you then. Hey listeners, this is Judith A. Yates reminding you that it is getting cold outside. And while you're inside staying warm, your pets should be warm too. Even if it's just the garage or in the barn, get your pet some hay or straw to curl up in to stay warm. You should keep your cats and dogs inside when the temperature falls below 40 degrees outside, even dogs with thick fur. Antifreeze is a deadly poison. It has a sweet taste that attracts animals, so be sure and clean up any spilled antifreeze. Check your car's hood before starting the car. Either bang on the hood or honk your horn because cats and small animals will crawl up in the engine space to stay warm and you don't want to start your engine with an animal in there. 
Clean off paws if you suspect your dogs or your cats have walked through rock salt because they'll lick their feet and that rock salt in their system is not good. Cats should never be left outdoors, even if they roam outside during other seasons. Bring them in. And remember, a pet carrier is not a doghouse. If you need a doghouse and are having hard times financially, you can usually find them for free. Check Craigslist under the free listings and you can usually find them if you keep your eye open. Always provide fresh drinking water in the winter. And for more information, go to www.aspca.org. Let's leave animal abusers out in the cold. Let's not leave the animals. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation, $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.